0: Seven oh two. The Naked Scientist. Time for the Naked Scientist with Doctor Chris Smith. We're taking all of your science related questions. Give us a call. O double one double eight three oh seven oh two. The WhatsApp line O seven two seven oh two and seven oh two. You can also find us on Twitter or what's now called X. I don't know when I'm gonna get to the point of calling it X at M at Radio Seven O Two and using the hashtag seven oh two afternoons. Doctor, how are you doing? Happy Monday.
1: Uh, Happy Monday to you as well. I'm doing very well. Uh, You can get in touch with us on X at (laughs) com. Doesn't it sound weird? It. it's so weird isn't it but you know it's, it's a marketing piece of genius in some respects it's a bit like saying the artist formerly known as Prince it gets them loads more airtime you used to just say tweet at whatever naked Scientists, yes. and it would trip off the tongue and it went by now you're saying X the website formerly known as Twitter and it's giving them extra syllables extra coverage and I think therefore extra emphasis and it's, it's reinvigorating the brand awareness I, that's what I think Elon Musk is up to but look I'm excited because on Friday I'm going to jump on the aeroplane, I'll come through Joburg, and I'm heading to Durban because we're going to do BioAfrica, which is the convention over in Durban that happens every year around this time. And we're going to hopefully recruit the next bunch of science communication geniuses and offer one lucky one of them, ideally, a scholarship to come yes. to Cambridge and work with the Naked Scientists. so that's all coming. And then I'm going to head down to Cape Town and, and do some events down there because I always do Joburg, I always do events in Joburg and then everyone complains from Cape Town. You never come to Cape Town, so I'm I'm going to, see you, Joburg, but I'm going to talk to you guys, especially from the conference. But I am going to go and see the people in Cape Town, so don't get miffed with me. It's not nothing personal this time. <laughs> it's just to keep them happy down there, otherwise okay. they get upset with me.
0: I will I will I will I will take that uh, apology <laughs> received in advance. All right, we've already got some questions coming through 011130702 in the WhatsApp line 0727021702. Sally asks a question for the naked scientist. Dr. Smith, my question is on skin treatments, especially the serums, namely retinol and vitamin C and also collagen. Do they work Oral consumption versus tropical application, which one is more efficient if they even work? And then I will even add to say, wh- what are they for, Doctor?
1: This is uh, a sort of license to print money for unscrupulous marketers and people making snake oil, as we used to call quack remedies you've got to be really careful in this space because everyone gets older everyone's skin ages and everyone is obsessed with trying to reverse the aging process and they know that people will part with good money to try and achieve that the bottom line is the best way to stay looking young is a to minimize especially if you have paler skin sun exposure because if you're not endowed with darker skin you are very much likely to fall victim to the aging effects of uv ultraviolet which degrades the elastin the elastic component and the collagen the strengthening component of your skin and as we get older because of the effects of aging anyway you lose those tissues but uv exaggerates the the rate at which that happens so it does make more wrinkles happen the other big one is smoking If you smoke, it also contributes to accelerated loss of the connective tissue and elastic tissue in your skin, making it look wrinklier. So the two best things you can do without having to spend a penny is keep an eye on how much sun exposure you're getting and don't get tempted by cigarettes or tobacco products smoke because those definitely degrade the quality of your skin. In terms of what you can do to rejuvenate your skin, making sure that you keep it well moisturized because that helps to keep moisture in the skin, and moisture takes up space, and that th- that keeps things plump, and therefore it keeps them soft and looking smooth, rankly. so moisturizing is good. There are some of these Sera on the market that do work, because they contain various traces of, of some of the hormones that do work, and do encourage the cells that produce the connective tissue in the skin to increase their activity. So you can look for some that are supported by clinical evidence. Some of them do exist, but do ask to see the evidence or do review for yourself. Is there a clinical trial that's been done objectively and in a cleverly constructed way to make it uh, reliable? And they they ought to be able to provide that if such data exists. But a lot of these things are just quack remedies that are there to make you feel better. And if you've spent good money on something, there's this hefty placebo effect that goes with where you think, well, I I want to. I really want to believe in my heart of hearts this is making a difference. So you tend to see a difference in the same way as a sugar pill will make your headache better because you believe that you want it to. So be very, very cautious in this space. It's it's ripe ripe for rip-offs.
0: So, in essence, Doctor, you are saying that you could just use the power of the mind to improve. <laughs>
1: you, you can, you're as old as you feel. That's definitely yes. true. And if you ask people who have done psychological studies on this, people often regard themselves as younger than they really are. Yes. And if you have a positive. Good mood outlook on life. You tend to feel younger staying active if you, if you want to have a, a positive mindset. But in terms of physical things you can put on your skin, some of these vitamin A components and some of these, these things that do have a hormonal effect, they can have a rejuvenating effect, but there are f- uh, very few of them on the market. And there are very few that are supported by good solid clinical evidence so be very cautious it's like vitamin pills it's a way of making very expensive urine this is a way of making very expensive sweat if if you just buy these things and and they're not really supported by good evidence base
0: all right thank you so much for that question um, here's another
1: one hi doc and Lebo. I just want to find out what are teeth are they stones or are they bones or they are something else what are the teeth well brilliant question well teeth form humans we have two sets of them the so-called deciduous or milk or fur of teeth and then they're replaced by your secondary and your adult teeth. They both come from the same place. They're formed from stem cells called odontoblasts, which form a model of the tooth in the jaw. And this model is then mineralized. In other words, the cells know, in inverted commas, how to capture the right chemicals from the blood and assemble them into the right crystal structure to give you the tooth. So you have a model of the tooth which is in connective tissue as a scaffold and you then hang on to that, the crystal structure which gives you your hard tooth and the outer surface of the tooth is the enamel which is the really hard stuff and that's made of a chemical called apatite which is a phosphorus containing calcium phosphate material and if you use fluoride containing toothpaste that's one of the best things you can do for your teeth because the fluoride reacts with the calcium phosphate and makes fluoroapatite A-P-A-T-I-T-E, which is one of the hardest minerals we have, which is what makes your teeth so resilient. Inside the enamel layer is a softer layer called the dentine, which contains the nourishing structures, nerves, blood vessels, and so on. And this is much less resilient. So you have to keep your enamel nice and healthy, and then you don't get damaged to the dentine un- that's underneath. So your tooth is basically a living tissue with a blood supply, with a nerve supply, and a hard mineral exterior, which is one of the hardest substances that we know in nature, which is why teeth are so brilliant. And if you look at them, they can last you a lifetime, and literally do.
0: All right, there is a question here around DNA testing, and I'm not sure if um, I'm understanding, but they're saying kindly ask the Naked Scientists if DNA results are always 100% correct or sometimes a second test is necessary. And the reason I'm saying I'm not 100% clear on their question is because the results will never say 100% even if it is a match. Am I correct, doctor?
1: The way that we do genetic fingerprinting and try to prove that somebody is related to somebody else, is that we will look at the structures of certain bits of DNA and we will say this sequence is as follows, this sequence is as follows, and because we can look at regions of DNA which are known to be very variable, they're regions that change a lot, in the population because they don't code for things that do important jobs in our cells, and this means that they tend to change in an unconstrained way much more and because they're highly variable there's a lot more diversity of those sequences in the population so the chances of a person by chance having the same sequences that we're looking at that are not related is very very slim but given that you never say never in medicine there is a tiny, tiny, tiny chance that that could arise by chance that this DNA we've read is the same in this person who is unrelated to the person we've just read from, and therefore there is a chance of getting it wrong. You can never say never. So it's the sort of genetic and molecular biological equivalent of the domestos or the disinfectant bottle saying that it kills 99.9% of germs. They don't know that it's 99.9% of germs. It probably kills 100% of germs, but to cover themselves, they percent. We say that of this occurring by chance, and these two being declared a match, the relation between them exists and in reality one dozen is so low X number of billions we'll that they're related to, each other, but you can never see never in science, because there is always that tiny chance that something did crop up by chance, but it's going to be in the billion, one in a billion
0: all right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, the line was going a little bit wonky, so let's see if we can get that right as well. 702,
1: The
0: Naked Scientist. Well, so with The Naked Scientist, we take your calls on 011-883-0702 in the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Uh, doctor Chris, a question uh, reads as follows. Why does a dead body float in deep water? when it engulfs water whereas the titanic sank after it engulfed water i don't know if that question makes sense to you doctor
1: indeed the question really boils down to why does anything float first and foremost and the reason things float or sink is because they are more or less dense than the water they're on. So if you take a cork and throw it in some water, it floats, because the cork is taking up more space and pushing out of the way more water, which then pushes back on the cork with the equivalent weight of water that's been pushed out of the way, then the cork itself weighs. This means that there's a net force up on the cork, and it floats. If something takes up less space than the amount of water it's pushing out of the way, then it's going to sink. And the Titanic was very, very dense. It had lots of steel on it. And once it got water inside it, there was no longer air in there. There was water taking up and adding mass to the Titanic. So it wasn't pushing out of the way very much water, certainly not much more water than it weighed itself. So it sank. A human body being made of 60 70% water just about wants to float. If you look at the density of a human, it's just a bit bit less than water, a bit more than water. It's hovering around about water, so we naturally almost float. Some people are a bit more likely to float based on body shape. But when we die, we definitely tend to float. And the reason for this is that as you decompose internally and remember your body is stuffed full of microorganisms there's probably 50 to 100 trillion microbes that live inside us it's most of them in our guts and when we die there's the immune system fails to control those anymore because the immune system stops working when the power goes off effectively and those microbes then start to eat you from the inside out and they produce lots of gaseous waste products and that gas blows you up like a balloon and you therefore take up even more space, so you're gonna push out of the way even more water than you did before, therefore you're moving a bigger mass of water out of the way than your body, now inflated, takes up, which means your density is much lower and the water's pushing you upwards, so dead bodies do tend to float for a while, And then once they pop and they start to fall apart, the density drops again and that's when they sink and and they're washed away. And then currents may carry various body parts all over the place, animals dismember us and and so on. So there is a natural tendency of us to float almost when we're not decomposing. But as we begin to decompose, the gaseous products made by the decomposition process reduce the density of our tissues and make us even more likely to float on water at least.
0: All right, we've got a question from Mabuge (laughs) in Pretoria. Hi Mabuge. I agree with you. There. Uh I was really sorry. Yes, go uh, I'd like ahead. To ask the, I'd like to ask a the scientist. They say that uh, above the uh, uh, Arctic, uh, above there's a star called Polaris, the station is not moving. I would like him to 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 confirm it if it is true. And the second question would be there are other lands in Antarctica but Google Map doesn't show it. Is that true or not? Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mapuke. Um, We only will have about a minute and a half. Oh, sorry. My apologies. Uh, Yes, a minute and a half, doctor. So let's see how many of the questions we can get through.
1: When we're looking up into the sky, the star that we can see every day, clearly, that goes across the sky is our own sun. And the reason it goes across the sky is because the earth is turning. And so when the sun comes up in the morning, the sun hasn't moved, it's that the earth has turned and the side of the earth we're on is now able to see the sun. And as we turn, it's a bit like if you imagine uh, a spotlight pointing at you on a stage and you walk across the stage, you see the light appear to move across. It's you turning and therefore your view of that star changing. Now that happens because we're seeing the star from side on, we're seeing the Sun looking at the side of the Earth. But there are other stars out there in space where they may be above the planet, for example, or above our North Pole or above our South Pole, below our South Pole. So when we look at the Pole star, the reason that one doesn't move around to go across the sky like our other stars do is because the Earth is turning, but at the pole, the turn is not... Is, it's, that's the axis of rotation, so therefore it doesn't move very much above that point of the Earth. As to Google Maps, I'm not sure whether or not they have suppressed some parts of the map for security reasons, and I suspect there probably are parts of the map that are purposefully suppressed, so that although the land may be there, what you can actually see of the land may be not. And I think probably that will come down to official secrets and so on in some jurisdictions that will insist that that data is suppressed. But I don't know for sure. If anyone knows better, do please tell us. Uh,
0: I actually was not aware that is the case, but I think my assumption was going to be exactly the same as yours, um, Doctor, which is that it might be for security purposes, especially if certain uh, spaces are meant to be secret locations. We wouldn't want them readily available to just anybody. Dr. Chris Smith, as always, a pleasure hosting